It's a brand new day, and we're putting the AM in American politics. We've seen the darkness of division and despair and are now jumping into the light of a bright path forward. Progress is here, and we're sharing its story with you, for you, all with the help of Signal Boost. Now, here are your hosts, Zerlina Maxwell and Jess McIntosh. Welcome to Signal Boost. I'm Zerlina Maxwell, and joining me on the show today is my good friend, Kamon Felix. She is the Vice President of Strategic Communications at Blue State. She was previously the comms director for surrogates for the Elizabeth Warren campaign. Kamon, thank you so much for joining me. Good morning, my friend. It's so good to be with you. Thanks for having me. So, you know, on this Friday morning, obviously a lot going on. I was just talking to our friend Danny Savalos about the defense um, case in the Derek Chauvin trial. And as I always joke, Danny is the only defense attorney that can explain to me like what the defense is doing objectively. And then at the end of the conversation, I still like him. Um, <laughs> and, and, and that is a very special skill um, to have. So we've gone through this whole trial. And obviously, I think a lot of us watched it and were like, okay, but there's a video. You know, it felt like they were going through a lot of painstaking detail and then you just have to sit back and be like, but there's a video and we all saw it. Right. And the, and the jury now um, has seen the video from many angles and in many different um, iterations and pieces. And it's all been put together for them. Now that we sit here at the end where all we have left is closing arguments and jury instructions. Do you get the feeling that. Do you feel optimistic that there is going to be a conviction or are you like me where you're like. I don't know. I've lived through this a lot of times and I've seen a lot of hung juries. I've seen mistrials. I've seen not guilty verdicts, even when there was video. <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. I'll tell you a quick story. Um, so on Twitter, you'll see that uh, uh, a friend of mine or someone posted um, a poem that I've written in my book, Build Yourself a Boat, a mm, series yeah. of poems about the Zimmerman trials. Um, and when I wrote those poems, I was 19 and it was the first time that I'd actually watched a trial like this go down. I was 19, I was naive, I was in a lot of pain. Um, and I assumed, right, based on the fact that I was in a lot of pain, that I knew so many other people were in a lot of pain, a lot of pain and that we'd seen the videos, we'd seen the footage, that there was so much doubt around this. I thought for sure we would leave with the conviction. I remember the day that the trial ended and the jury came back. And I fell to my knees. I was so heartbroken. And that case doesn't seem nearly as shut and closed as this case does. So I have no faith and no optimism whatsoever that we're actually going to end with a conviction here. Because to do so is to acknowledge that state-sanctioned violence is real and that the state is complicit. And so far, no jury has been brave enough to acknowledge that. Mm. I mean, I think you're you're so right in thinking and, and starting with, um, you know, how you felt the first time this happened, because I felt similarly. I mean, I'm a little older than you. But when I was Rodney King was I was, I think, in sixth grade, seventh grade. Um, and I remember, you know, we all saw the tape and obviously that was horrifying. But I remember hearing the verdict, like breaking news, not guilty. And I was like, that's wrong. That's the wrong answer. That's how could that be possible? How is that possible? We saw a video of them beating 
Rodney King on video. We saw it. We know. And I'm like, well, I don't. How is that possible? It was like it. I couldn't process because my lo- my brain it always functions with logic and reasoning. And when things happen that are irrational, I'm like, no, that doesn't make sense. I don't understand. I just doesn't compute. It's like the gif of the woman on Twitter where she's like trying to put together the formula. Like it's like a little black child trying to put together the formula of why no one sees my humanity. Why? Yes, why is it that absolutely. there is no there are no consequences and accountability for the brutality committed against a man on video that we all saw, and that man looks like me, and everybody else was like, "Well, that's fine. That's allowed." Apparently, so yes, I, I no, feel absolutely. I feel so similarly um, in terms of being a young person and having that realization. How do you feel like that affects the, some of the other cases we're seeing? Because one of the things I realized this week, too, is, you know, if I'm Dante Wright, first of all, I'm terrified if I get pulled over by a car. And currently right now, I do not even have a driver's license, mainly because I lived in Brooklyn. I'm trying to get I want to get a driver's license now because I realized in the pandemic I need a driver's license because there could be another pandemic. There could be another pandemic and I need to be able to drive places. That that's what I've learned in the pandemic is that that was a thing that is essential to be able to freely move in the world. Um, you know, you're not always going to live in Brooklyn. I mean, oh my God, can you imagine? Um, I never thought, I never thought that could be true. Um, but, uh, you know, here we are in, in a world, um, where I'm like, okay, I'm going to start driving again. And I had sort of a pang of anxiety the other day, realizing that what comes with that is the threat of being pulled over by the police. And the fact that I've been watching all these videos and yeah, I can, as a rational adult, look at these videos and be like, okay, I will, you know, try my best not to end up in these situations because we all do that as adults because we think we can avoid mm-hmm. these situations and, and you can't because it's the police who are making these choices. Um, sure. But I'm like, when I watch the Dante Wright video, his behavior looks absolutely just like, just completely um, rational for, for a black exactly person, 20 years old, in that situation where there's police officers, I'm terrified. I mean, mm-hmm. there has to be an, a psychological impact of watching these videos and then having to go out in the world with black skin and interact with police officers. Do you feel like yeah. when you watch the Dante Wright video or even the video from last night from Chicago, Adam Toledo, a seventh grader? I mean, I understand why the kids run. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, look, you know this. I grew up in New York City. I grew up in the Bronx. I grew up in the South Bronx. It's one of the most policed communities in the country. And um, oftentimes, kids would come to school injured or, you know, having broken a leg. And you ask them, like, well, what happened to you? And they're like, oh, nothing. I was just running from the cops. They're like, oh, okay. I guess guess we all just wound up with broken limbs because we have to run from the cops. And, you know, the pathology around that, uh, follows us into adulthood, right? Like, I I actually haven't watched the video of um, the young, the, the, the baby who was killed in Chicago right. by CP, CPPD. Um, I, I haven't watched because I don't really need to. I've seen it over and over again, both in person and on video, um, countless other times. Uh, and what I feel is, a sense of futility, a sense of, you know, to, to your exact point, I also can't drive. 
Um, and, you know, at first that was just a byproduct of having been a native New Yorker my whole life. But now it's a conscious decision because I can't imagine putting myself in another situation where I might be alone and vulnerable to state-sanctioned violence, to police, to being pulled over. Far less, you know, just the idea of being in something that weighs a ton on the road with things that also weigh a ton. You know, there's that. But, you know, that pathology of realizing um, there are literally some things that I just should not do. But if I can afford, you know, to spend money on taxi cabs and on public transportation for the rest of my life, that's probably uh, a better choice than the freedom of being able to just get in the car and go wherever you want to. Um, because what comes with that freedom is a vulnerability that uh, you can't protect yourself from. Um, and, you know, I look at... Um, I think about all of these videos and all of these different cases that are coming out and think about my little brother um, who is in his early teens and my younger sisters who are in their late teens um, and just thinking about how when they go out into the world, um, the people who are supposed to protect them don't even see them as children. Um, and so I'm, I, I feel like I'm far less worried about myself and much more worried about these young people who have no protection, they have no social status. You know, if one right. of us, you or I, Zerlina, gets hurt tomorrow by the police, there will be people on Twitter, right, at least, who will advocate for us. There will be chirons right. on television. But there are these children who nobody knows. They're, they belong to no one. Um, right. And they're taken from us with impunity. It's so true. I mean, when I, when I think about the psychological impact on young Black children right now, it's like... It hurts my it hurts my heart. Like my heart aches a little bit because um you know, I remember, I mean, we talked about this like we remember when that moment when you're a child and you realize that there's something about you that means that you're going to be treated worse. Mm-hmm. Like when you're like 6, <laughs> you're like mm-hmm. you 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 become very aware, hyper aware that there's something about you. That you didn't get to choose. Not like, you know, you get, you're born and you're like, I would like to be white or black. You know, like you don't get to, you don't get to pick. You come out, you're like, okay, we're here. Um, And I just, I think like that's the part that makes my heart ache because, you know, it's the loss of innocence that happens when you have that realization at a young age as a black or brown person Um, that sort of you carry it. And then and then getting of age to realize that not only are you going to be treated worse, but potentially your skin color could get you killed, could get you killed. (laughs) Yeah, it's actually a thing that makes makes you a threat to people who carry around guns. Imagine that like that. Mm -hmm. That's a lot. And, and, And that's the status quo. And every day we wake up and we go about our lives, we put our shoes on, we, you know, get our car keys or open up our laptops for our morning zoom meetings and we just move on with our lives. And this is the, this is the status quo that we've all as a society said is acceptable. And the reason I'm, I'm saying us, we is because nothing, if, if something is not acceptable, you may, you make changes, you make yeah. changes. And in, in if it's a small thing in your life, that's unacceptable to a major thing in your life. That's unacceptable. It, yeah. Unless you yeah. are making changes, you are tolerating the status quo. Mm-hmm. So, we are all tolerating this status quo in this moment. And I don't know why. I don't know why. I said this yesterday to a friend, and it rings even more true this morning. There seems to be no safe space in the world for black and brown children 
And that's the true crime. And we're all complicit. It's true. It's true. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no age. I mean, you're, you're probably too young to even understand it. That's the only years you have any type of, mm-hmm. I don't know, innocence. Because by sixth, they're going to criminalize you or, or somebody will call you a name at school and then you'll realize that you're black. And then that's when you realize that, oh, life is going to be really different. I mean, the parents of black children, I mean, a lot of them have talked about, you know, in interviews, there's a lot of uh, black parents that speak to this idea that, you know, that moment where you have to explain to your child what racism is, is a tough one. And then often what will happen is this conversation with white parents where they're, you know, if there's a story in the news, I remember when this story about Jesse Smollett was first in the news when we we didn't know any of the other pieces of the story and again like I don't even want to get into the details of that story but when you first heard the story and you were like wow that that sounds really bad I remember somebody asking me um a white woman asked me like you know what about you know how we're going to talk to the kids about this you know do you think like this is the kind of topic that you know is is too hard for us to discuss with our children you know, what's your opinion about that? And I was like, well, I'm not a mother, but I did grow up as a black child. And I actually did not get an option for my mom to not talk to me about racism because I was experiencing it. So little white children, their parents get to protect them and to shield them from this reality and say, oh, that seems too hard to talk about. We don't want to talk about George Floyd with our white children because we don't want to ruin their innocence. We don't want to, you know, um, talk to them about these serious issues that's going to be too hard what do you think the black children and the black parents are doing they don't get an option Mm -hmm. they don't get the privilege of deciding whether or not they're going to talk to their children about racism they have to talk to their children about racism so that their children can survive america so they don't Mm -hmm. get killed they need to be aware of racism and the biases that they're going to experience as black children because it's life or death for them So it's cute that you're like, oh, my little white children, I'm so nervous. I don't want to talk to them about racism. That's a hard topic. No, you get to choose to talk to your kids about racism. Imagine that privilege. So don't look at your children as, you know, so, so delicate and special that you don't talk to them about this. You need to talk to your children about this because that's how we get the status quo. Because too many white parents think it's an option. Oh, well, I don't want to talk to my, my children about that. That's too hard. You have to. Yeah. And by protecting and, and by trying to shield your children from racism, your white children from racism, what you're actually doing is leaving children of color more vulnerable to your children's in, inherent and inevitable future biases and prejudice. Yeah. So you're protecting one child while leaving the rest of the world's children vulnerable to whatever your kid makes up in the absence of a true education around anti-racism. So my kid has to learn early about racism, but your kid just gets to perpetrate it without having to be accountable. That doesn't seem equal or fair. It isn't equal or fair. And I think that it's, it's the thing about racism is it's stupid. It's actually, (laughs) it's stupid, right? There's absolutely no reason why that we should have set up a world in a world, not just America, because it's a world, it's a global situation here. There is no reason why we should have set up the world in which people who have lighter skin internalize the idea that they are superior to people who do not have white skin. That is dumb. 
because you don't get to decide. You come here, you're here. And then you literally look in a mirror and you go, oh, that's, that's, I have brown skin. I have um, tan skin, right? Like, and then people in the world get to treat you either like a human being or not based on choices you didn't get to make. That's the dumbest way to set up a world. So for me as a child, I was like, racism is, it doesn't even make any sense. It's actually really <laughs> stupid. And then you fast forward to the year 2020 on January 6th, you see how dumb racism looks because the people who bought into white supremacy, the people who bought into the idea that they are superior to people who are not white and particularly not male, they mm-hmm. were so disoriented mm-hmm. once, once sort of the, the idea that, you know, Donald Trump is not going to save us and the, the world is not going to remain a white majority, um, particularly here in the United States, right? Um, our demographics are shifting. And when they're confronting with the reality that black people can vote for Joe Biden and actually change the makeup of this government here in this country, they, they, they freaked out. That, yeah. that January 6th insurrection is what happens when you, buy, when you buy into the lie that you are superior to people who do not, do not have white skin. That's what happens. Mm-hmm. You lose your freaking mind. You know why? Because it doesn't make sense. It's actually right. stupid. <laughs> it and so now you're up here running in the running into the Capitol, breaking windows, um, you know, looking for Mike Pence because you've you've been sold a lie. And I'm very sorry that you have been sold this lie. Mm-hmm. But you are not superior. That's the yeah. lie. And, and that's why it's so important that when we talk about white supremacy and when we talk about racism, that we underscore that none of it is real, but it's all a myth that white supremacy in and of itself is a myth, right? Its application is by no means mythical. We saw its application on Capitol. But white supremacy, the idea that white people are truly inherently more powerful, better, smarter than anybody else, is a lie. And it's a lie that feeds our economic system, feeds our social systems. People benefit from that lie. So while we talk about the true violence of white supremacy, we have to talk about the fact that the violence of it, all of it is premised on a lie. Mm, all of it, the whole thing. Um, we, have to, we have to take a break. It's so sad, right? Okay. It's what I goes know. so fast I know. when you're having a good conversation. And this is like, yeah, this is my friend, Kamon. Kamon is my friend. So uh, we, this is why we talk all the time. <laughs> Yeah. And today we just turned on the microphones. Um, but I, I just, yesterday on the show, we had um, Raul Peck, who made um, I Am Not Your Negro, um, and sometimes in April, um, and many, many other films. But his most recent docuseries is Exterminate All the Brutes, and it's on HBO, and it's mm-hmm. an astonishing masterpiece. Like, it is a masterpiece. And it is an origin story of white supremacy. And I yesterday's conversation and the conversation we just had, I think they should be sort of listened in tandem because I think the this is the the headspace that I want the listeners of Signal Boost to be in. I want us to question white supremacy. It's actually super dumb. And people have died for this stupid thing. And why is it this way? It doesn't have to be. It does not have to be. Um, come on, Felix. Thank you so much. Oh, Hannah just reminded me. 
it's been a hundred days since the Capitol attack. Um, Jeez, and that seems significant. Day? It's, 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 it went quick. It's so surreal that we actually live through insurrection in the pandemic year. I mean, like it's a lot. We had, a, I mean, Germany didn't have a racial reckoning. Only we did. <laughs> uh, America, <laughs> go team. Um, come on, Felix, vice president of strategic communications at Blue State, um, former staffer for Elizabeth Warren, and my buddy, award-winning poet, as well. I mean, you have a lot of talents. Um, no. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna retweet that poem, or send me the link so I can make sure to share that. Um, or I'll just have you on my show later this tonight. Um, and we'll talk about it because now that you've mentioned that, I'm like, I want to have this conversation again, um, <laughs> later today on the other show. Um, come on. Thank you so much for being here and go back to sleep. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Hopefully you can too. <laughs> I know. Right. Thank you all so much for listening. Please follow us on Twitter at Zerlina Maxwell at Jess underscore MC and at signal boost show. 